This is uh, Dr. Pedro Ramirez, Editor-in-Chief of the International Journal of Gynecological Cancer. And today I have the great pleasure and honor to speak with Dr. David Sibula, who is in the Gynecologic Oncology Center in the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology, First Faculty of Medicine, Charles University, and General University Hospital in the Prague in the Czech Republic. Welcome, David. Thank you, Pedro. Thank you for your kind invitation. David, well, uh, thank you again for, for your time, and this is uh, absolutely an honor to uh, speak to you once again, obviously, on a, a big publication, and congratulations on uh, such an outstanding study. Um, this was uh, referring, and uh, our podcast is featuring the study titled Completion of Radical Hysterectomy Does Not Improve Survival of Patients with Cervical Cancer and intraoperatively detected lymph node involvement, the ABRAX International Retrospective Cohort Study that is published in the European Journal of Cancer. So certainly a study that was anxiously awaited by all of us in the community of gynecologic oncology. We were really glad to see that uh, this is uh, completed and, and published. So uh, lots of questions, and uh, I definitely want to um, uh, start by Asking you, obviously, the, the, the key question that gynecologic oncologists have been dealing uh, with for quite some time, and with this study, you, you know, certainly we have very, a, a very important contribution, is um, certainly what, what, what are the guidelines telling us as it pertains to the management of patients as, as to how to proceed in the setting when we find positive uh, lymph nodes at the time of uh, radical hysterectomy? Um, what are the guidelines telling us today? Yeah. Well, uh, in MCC and guidelines, uh, there is uh, nothing in the algorithm, but I checked this, uh, uh, this and uh, in the text commenting the, the algorithm, it says that if positive lymph nodes is detected uh, during the surgery, a radical surgery should be abandoned. Uh, so our outcome of the study is in line with that and also the ASCO uh, guidelines uh, they are a little bit more specific it says that uh, in this case any further radical surgery uh, should be abandoned uh, which means not only a radical hysterectomy but there is also no reason for to removing uh, uh, other pelvic uh, lymph nodes if the patient is going to be uh, uh, radiated so so, uh, in fact, uh, uh, our outcome is in line with, uh, uh, with the current guidelines. But I was uh, a member of the working group of, uh, for the ESCO guidelines, and I remember that moment when we discussed this particular step in the algorithm, mm -hmm. and uh, we realized that there is a very, very little, if any, evidence, and the literature is very much confusing. And that was, in, in fact, the motivation for us conduct yeah and, and I'm really glad that this study uh, was done uh, and was completed and it's finally published because you know as you as you mentioned when this topic comes up in discussions and conferences there uh, my sense is there's such a variety of different uh, uh, management strategies uh, from from different groups so with that then I'll ask you uh, for this particular study for the abrax when you were thinking about designing the study, um, what was your primary objective and, and what were you looking at, the, the primary endpoints of the study? Yeah. 
Well, the primary objective, as you mentioned at the beginning, was uh, to evaluate whether the completion of radical hysterectomy has any benefit for oncological outcome. In, in this particular situation, in patients with early-stage cervical cancer who are referred for primary surgical treatment and intraoperatively, uh, uh, positive lymph nodes are, are detected. And the primary endpoint was progression-free survival. Okay. And um, what, did you have any uh, secondary endpoints? Well, there were several secondary endpoints. Uh, first, it was overall survival, obviously. Uh, also, pelvic uh, progression-free su survival, since uh, we expected that even if overall survival is not is not changed, there might be some signal in, in pelvic control. And uh, uh, also subgroup analysis, because that, that, that was, I, I must admit, my hypothesis, that, that we can find some signal or some better better prognosis in the patients who we think are uh, less sensitive to radiation treatment like adenocarcinomas or larger tumors and also uh, uh, treatment related morbidity. Mm -hmm. So that's great and, uh, and obviously to achieve this study um, I know you were campaigning uh, for for quite some time, obviously trying to get institutions to uh, collaborate with you, and uh, and you were very successful at doing so. Um, can you just review with us uh, total at the end how many institutions and actually how many countries um, participated in in the study? And uh, and as a follow up to that, um, what were your selection criteria for getting a center involved? Yeah, uh, finally, there were 51 institutions contributed from, uh, from 19 countries, and it was also accepted as uh, an ENGOT uh, trial. So the leading group was the CECOG, it's our group in, uh, in, uh, in our region of Central and Eastern Europe, and two other uh, ENGOT groups uh, uh, joined us, uh, Italian MITO and German AGO group. And uh, the selection criteria for, for the institutions was mostly the number of, uh, of the patients. So, so we uh, required that, that they have at least 10 cases uh, of patients uh, who meet uh, the inclusion criteria, which reflects certain volume, and also it reflects the practice that, that they do intraoperative assessment of uh, lymph nodes, so they see these, uh, these patients. Exactly. Okay, so one of the, the next question, actually, uh, as, as some of our questions today came from... Um, uh, some of the uh, uh, journal fellows, and uh, this one came from our fellow in Africa. Um, and his question was, you know, certainly there were institutions um, globally, but uh, North America, Asia, and Africa were not represented um, in the study. And the question was, you know, certainly do you feel that the data uh, represented and the results may be globally applicable and, uh, you know, particularly what is the likelihood of having some of these results adapted as standard practice in, uh, in some of these regions? Yeah, it's a, it, it's a nice, it's a nice question. So, so I would, you know, uh, 
I would di differentiate uh, different aspects. First, if it is applicable, yes, I believe it is. I don't think that in cervical cancer we have any signal that patients do differently and uh, respond to radiotherapy or surgery differently in Africa or in North America. It's not ovarian cancer. Uh, so yes, I, I do think that it's applicable. Uh, but whether I believe that, that this will harmonize uh, clinical practice uh, around the globe, uh, no, of course. <laughs> I, uh, I don't think so because I see that uh, what what's the reality that even level A evidence uh, a clinical trial <laughs> prospective randomized trial uh, uh, has this uh, have this, this this power to 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 change the clinical practice completely, but still I believe that 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 is the best evidence which we have available. And I think that it's it's an important piece of information for for the management of of, of our patients. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and now, when uh, when deciding um, who was included and uh, who was excluded in the in the study, can you tell us a little bit more with details as to um, what were the type of patients that were included in this uh, in this study? Well, I would. Uh, focus on uh, on one uh, key inclusion criteria and uh, and this is intraoperative positivity because this was one aspect which I found uh, confusing in the in the literature that uh, they very often authors mix patients with uh, uh, positive lymph nodes on imaging with those with positive intraoperatively with those uh, who were positive from the final pathology. Mm. And uh, those three groups are obviously prognostically different. Uh, we cannot mix up uh, patients with bulky lymph nodes on uh, CT scan or PET scan with those with small metastasis, which is only microscopic and is diagnosed from frozen section. Uh, with the patient with with micrometastasis, which is found uh, from the final final pathology, so so for us this was this was the key component to really compare like with like, and include only those with intraoperative uh, de detection of positive lymph nodes. Mm -hmm. So as a follow-up, and you mentioned uh, certainly the pathology and the pathology being uh, uh, very important in this, in this setting, particularly for this study. So this question came to us from one of our uh, journal fellows from Europe. Um, and the question was, you know, certainly when you're um, relying on the information on lymph nodes uh, to determine uh, completed uh, radical hysterectomy, abandoning a radical hysterectomy, um, number one, do we have any information uh, from the 51 institutions that participated as to whether there was any kind of uh, criteria or accreditation and validation of the pathologists who were involved in the, in the study? Um, and how should we look moving forward as to the quality of pathology when implementing these results? No, no. This was this was not not part of uh, of the study, and uh, there were no uh, demands or or uh, requests 
for for the institutions. Uh, uh, the only criteria to include patient was 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 any positivity, including macrometastasis or micrometastasis found found during uh, during uh, the surgery. Uh, you know, to do this, uh, it it uh, would have to be a prospective trial, uh, which would be very difficult to conduct. Also, for these reasons. Because uh, you know, such a trial would would uh, be composed of of multimodal treatment, mm -hmm. surgery, radiotherapy, chemo radiation. Uh, so to control for the quality of all these aspects, uh, pathology, diagnostics, uh, different treatment modalities, would be extremely difficult to conduct. Yeah, and I think also to to the credit of this study, it, it represents. What we see, what we see every day, sort of like the, you know, obviously the the, the real world uh, perspectives in uh, in this setting. Um, so now you are uh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, you are absolutely right, Pedro, because you touched a very important aspect. You know, sometimes we we try to show that you know robotic surgery works, uh, and then the authors select five selected centers with the best robotic surgery in the world and uh, and uh, then the outcome is it applicable to the whole world mm -hmm. and the same applies for 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 the radiation oncology trials usually you know they, they 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 are conducted in the best of the best with the best equipment with the quality control in in place and then the question is whether the outcome is is really uh, can be generalized uh, because it obviously does not reflect common clinical practice. Yeah, absolutely. So now moving beyond the methodology, um, getting to the main results, the highlight, the punchline of the Abrax uh, study, um, what should we take away from this study as the key uh, take-home message? Yeah, well, I would again with uh, with with my own uh, you know, humble hypothesis which uh, with which I entered the study and and I thought that that we will find uh, at least a signal towards towards benefit from uh, from completion of radical hysterectomy at least in some groups and the outcome of of, of, of the trial was uh, and the uh, this is also the reason why why it's it, it's relatively easy to interpret it because it the, the the outcome was quite homogeneous and it and and it said that that there was no benefit no signal for the for for the benefit in any of uh, of the endpoints including progression free survival pelvic progression free survival or overall overall survival uh, uh, by uh, in the group with uh, with a completed radical hysterectomy, uh, there was no subgroup uh, in subgroup uh, analysis uh, where the benefit would be would be seen, and also in uh, in multivariate analysis uh, there was only pretreatment stage selected as a as a, a significant significant parameter. And if the cervical procedure uh, was forced into these models, it, it still was was not significant. So, so, so throughout the outcome, there was really no signal uh, anywhere in the trial towards 
improved outcome and the recurrence uh, rate was was almost the same. Uh, it, it, imagine that you collect these data from so many institutions you know, and then you compare very different management because in, in one group you left your tumor behind. In the other group you removed your tumor during the, the, the surgery and uh, if we analyze the data then the, the, the recurrence rate was 25.8% in one group and 26.6% in the in, in the other group. So it was really identical. Yeah. So, and I think, uh, you know, I agree with you. I think these are really important findings because, you know, certainly it gives uh, those who abandon the uh, the procedure reassurance that that you know certainly you have you 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 have done the the, the appropriate approach and then uh, it also opens up uh, you know obviously uh, uh, data for those who insist on completing the radical hysterectomy as to uh, whether there's any at all benefit in, in doing that so um, again you know I think this this study really highlights a, a really a very important question. So one of the things that I wanted to uh, follow up to that is that, um, you know, certainly uh, there are many who look at, well, what kind of radical hysterectomy was performed? And I was wondering if you had uh, details or information as to the specific type of radical hysterectomy that was performed in, uh, in the cases where they uh, completed the uh, radical hysterectomy. Yeah, we have that. It was not published uh, in the paper, I, uh, but uh, we have that the majority of patients received C1 nerve sparing radical hysterectomy, but there were 26% uh, of cases which were uh, not classified. So, so, so there was this, this, this number which without, without classification of type of radical, radical hysterectomy um, I don't think that you know this is particularly so important because we both know uh, how you know different is is our subjective assessment of of our of our radicality that that it's uh, really uh, quite quite subjective. So 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 uh, since it was not prospectively designed. Uh, and also we have the type of the radical surgery available only for obviously it's the group with uh, with completed radical radical hysterectomy not in the other group right no I, I agree completely and I think that it, it's so variable in terms of how surgeons define uh, the type of radical hysterectomy um, then the, the the other question was uh, sentinel lymph nodes and sentinel lymph node mapping and I was just Wondering if you, we can start by just uh, um, asking you what percentage of patients uh, had sentinel lymph node mapping in uh, in this study? Yeah, it was it was twenty uh, percent of patients in the group with completed and fifty percent with abandoned, uh, uh, which I believe you know this discrepancy uh, might or may reflect. Uh, the fact that those uh, uh, who perform sentinel lymph nodes routinely simply detect intraoperative positivity more often. 
Mm-hmm. And this is the reason why why you know it was it, it, it appeared more frequently in the subgroup with abandoned radical hysterectomy. Yeah, and then that that uh, brings us to another important question. I think in this algorithm, um, in that you know certainly I noted that there were quite a number of patients who underwent um, sort of like a completion lymphadenectomy, um, and. You know, I'm, I'm wondering what your thoughts are with regards to once a positive pelvic lymph node is identified, for example, in our institutions, uh, you know, we, we find a positive uh, pelvic lymph nodes and we do a periodic sampling to determine the, the extent of the radiation field. Um, what, what are your thoughts? And, and I'm curious to hear about your own practice. Once you detect that positive lymph node in the pelvis, um, do you recommend a complete lymphadenectomy or you have enough information already to determine your adjuvant treatment? Yeah. Pedro, uh, I completely agree with you. Uh, we follow the same policy. If we found uh, a positive lymph node, we do not complete systematic uh, uh, lymph node dissection in the pelvis. And it was also a surprise for me to realize that even in the subgroup with abandoned radical hysterectomy, still pelvic lymphadenectomy was performed in almost 90% of cases. So obviously, this, in my opinion, it, it, it reflects uh, our you know, surgeon's uh, common practice that while waiting for the results of the of uh, frozen section, they simply go on and they complete uh, pelvic lymphadenectomy. But, uh, you know, it's very highly unlikely that the removal of, of, of lymph nodes, which are negative on imaging, because uh, those are patients selected for this, uh, for this, for this study. So removing these, uh, these, these, these normally appearing lymph nodes on, on imaging can improve the prognosis of of patients who are then referred for for radiation or chemo radiation, and uh, uh, this was also our our recommendation from the from the study. Uh, so, if the the, the, the positive lymph, lymph node is is detected, in my opinion, we should not continue with with any radical. What 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 is theoretically possible, as you mentioned, is is to do periodic staging uh, uh, for the future radiotherapy ex- yeah. extension. Yeah, and uh, this this subsequent follow up question came to us from our our uh, journal fellow from Italy, asking uh, you know certainly the false negative rates of uh, um, metastasis detection in uh, sentinel lymph node frozen section is variable in the literature. Um, I was wondering if you can comment on the role of uh, frozen section sentinel lymph node evaluation as a tool to abandon a radical hysterectomy or to proceed. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that it's so variable, this, this proportion of patients. And uh, uh, yes, there are some studies uh, showing that frozen section can be uh, quite reliable in detection of positive lymph nodes. Uh, I, I, I really uh, don't believe in that, and it's based on, uh, on, on, on large trials and, and on really massive data currently. And uh, in a, 
simply the outcome reflects always the quality of frozen section, not that much because usually it's one or two, 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 two slides, uh, but mostly the quality of, 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 the, of the ultra staging. Mm -hmm. So the more intensive ultra staging you have, I mean final pathology, then the, 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 then the higher is is the is the incidence of of, of, of micrometastasis found mm -hmm. found uh, from that. So so uh, in a in in our institutional data in in in, in our large retros retrospective uh, 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 multi institutional study, and also recently in the Centix trial, we actually showed the same. That uh, by frozen section we are unable to detect very small metastasis, mm. which is quite, you know, logic. That that uh, by one slice or two slides made by by pathologists during the surgery, they cannot uh, reliably detect metastasis which are 0.1 millimeter in size. It's simply um, in, impossible so uh, yes this is uh, this is the weakness of of, of the whole of the whole uh, algorithm and uh, we have to count with that simply yeah. so in the whole Centix trial uh, which included uh, prospectively enrolled 700 patients uh, we detected 45 so uh, uh, 45 patients, 6% uh, of patients intraoperatively with intraoperative lymph node positivity. Uh, and, you know, the frequency also reflects the quality of preoperative imaging, preoperative workup. So if you exclude reliably patients with really large, large positive lymph nodes, then your proportion of patients with intraoperative detection uh, makes it makes it uh, lower, yeah. but still, for those 45 patients, for those six percent of patients, it can spare a lot of additional morbidity. Yeah, but I think it's important, as you said, to emphasize that that percentage is going to be uh, quite small uh, with regards to uh, the percentage that you're going to be detecting that. Um, so now moving on to the adjuvant treatment. Um, it's noted that in the ABRAC study, uh, the abandoned group, 93%, received chemoradiation. In the completed group, 74% received chemoradiation. So uh, much more prominent in the abandoned group. Um, the question was just, what are your thoughts with regards to whether this could have impacted the survival outcomes? Yes, this was uh, one of the criticisms to our first presentation of, uh, of, the, of the outcome uh, from the ABRAC trial. Uh, there were some imbalances uh, in uh, the rate of uh, chemoradiation, which is considered standard of care currently for, for lymph node positive uh, cervical cancer early stage patients. Uh, but th this disbalance was, was, was uh, you know, quite little, not so so large. Also, uh, when we implemented forced 
type of adjuvant treatment into the the, the uh, multivariate model, uh, there was it, the type of adjuvant treatment was was not significant factor, and uh, also importantly, uh, in both subgroups, the main treatment modality was chemo radiation, and if we compare it like with like, mm -hmm. meaning the patients uh, who received chemo radiation, plus minus radical surgery before that, mm -hmm. the, the, the recurrence rate was exactly the same. It was 25% mm -hmm. in, both, in both groups. So again, I don't think that, that this is a, a significant bias uh, uh, in, the, in, in the study. Yeah, important to know that. Um, now, I wanted to uh, just uh, obviously draw on your expertise and, and, and get your thoughts on um, this next question, where um, recent publication of the STAR uh, trial in JAMA Oncology uh, showed that for patients with high-risk uh, early cervical cancer, there was a benefit to sequential uh, chemoradiation um, after surgery. And uh, just your thoughts as to what, you know, what do you consider as the ideal adjuvant therapy recommendation in, in these patients? Well, this is, uh, this is uh, a very complicated question for me to answer. And uh, we have collected a lot of additional data related to adjuvant treatment in terms of the duration of treatment, in terms of, 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 of the total dosage of radiation, in terms of, of concomitant medication and dose of that. But, uh, you know, the data were, were in this respect really heterogeneous. So, so, so we are unable to make any conclusion from, uh, from, from the trial. Uh, in uh, in my opinion, the standard of care in this in this patient is uh, chemo radiation, and there are ongoing uh, you know several trials uh, with uh, you know, other medications like like checkpoint inhibitors and and, and FARB inhibitors in different scenarios added to that. So I believe that especially in these locally advanced and metastatic tumors, this, uh, the practice will soon be changed towards, towards you know, new, uh, new uh, treatment and new, new molecules and new combinations with radiation treatment. Yeah. And, and um, an additional question, uh, David, regarding the, the group comparisons, um, you know, obviously drawing on, on my own uh, interest of uh, the question of open versus minimally invasive. And I wonder if you had enough patients in each group, uh, both the abandoned and the, and the, the completed, uh, with regards to was there a difference between the open and the minimally invasive approach um, in this study? You know, we we did and we published this uh, this uh, analysis uh, because uh, obviously we expected that this will be the first question of of any reviewer, uh, which will be asked whether uh, minimally invasive surgery made any uh, any impact on the on the outcome. Uh, our two groups were not well balanced in, in this aspect because 70% of uh, those with completed 
uh, were uh, operated by open uh, surgery, while only 40% in the abandoned uh, group uh, was operated from, uh, from laparotomy. But uh, the approach itself was, was not a significant factor for, for, for apoptosis. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, one, have to, one should emphasize that, that our group is totally different uh, from the LAC group. Uh, our recurrence rate was was 25-26%. So it reflects that it's a group of, of, of much, much higher higher uh, prognostic risk, and uh, it, it cannot be compared. My translation to that is is that you know the the positive uh, lymph node makes the patients so high risk mm -hmm. that uh, not even approach, not even removal of the of the hysterectomy can make any significant uh, uh, change of the prognosis. Yeah, that's a very important point and one that uh, to to highlight. Absolutely. Um, now, this next question came to us from Austria. Uh, was there any difference in the subgroup uh, with adenocarcinoma histology by abandoning or completing uh, the radical uh, hysterectomy? Is, is there any benefit in proceeding with a radical hysterectomy in this subgroup of patients with adenocarcinoma? Uh, uh, this was this was. Uh, as, as I mentioned, my my hypothesis mm -hmm. that, that this, this this can be the case, and uh, there were uh, adenocarcinomas well represented uh, in 18 and 14 percent in both subgroups. And uh, as I said, in any of the subgroups, there there was there was found any benefit. Uh, so it also it applies for adeno adenocarcinoma. So so even for adenocarcinomas, there was no found any benefit from the completion of radical hysterectomy. Okay. And um, one of the uh, questions regarding the prognostic factors, and I think you alluded to this in the, in the manuscript, um, that there, you know, certainly obviously some prognostic factors other than lymph node involvement uh, that can only be assessed uh, using the specimen obtained after completing the radical hysterectomy. Um, so obviously, in this study, you only know about those factors in the completed group, not the abandoned group. Could this have impacted the results of the study? Yeah, of course, I cannot you know, exclude this selection bias. Uh, it's impossible in a, in a retrospective study. Uh, at the same time, those parameters which uh, we cannot compare between the groups, uh, this is unavoidable. We simply don't know what was the proportion of patients with uh, positive vaginal margins or positive parametrial margins uh, or, or pathologic uh, uh, size of the tumor without removing the uterus. So, so those are, those are the, the risk factors which cannot be compared. Still, both groups were well balanced in, uh, in, in the main tumor-related risk factors, including pretreatment stage, largest tumor size on radiological staging, or tumor type. Mm -hmm. And uh, we still should take into, into a consideration that, that uh, as we know from, from many, many trials, that, that, that we have 
here a specific subgroup of patients with uh, the main uh, uh, risk factor, and this is positive valvulinogenesis. Mm-hmm. And 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 in this uh, factor, both groups were were on the same page because all the patients were 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 N N one patients. They had positive notes, yeah. So now, David, I'm going to be a little bit of a, the voice of those who say. You know, I still complete the radical hysterectomy because, you know, certainly there are those who might argue that, you know, certainly in the past, we didn't want to combine therapy. We didn't want to combine surgery and radiation because of the potential higher complication rates. But there are those who might say, look, that was the past. We don't have that same level of complications from modern radiation oncology. uh, And that's why I complete the radical hysterectomy to remove the primary site of disease. Uh, why would you, what, what would you say to somebody like that? Yeah, absolutely. And, and this is the main argument uh, of those who are still believers in, in the completion of radical hysterectomy. They say, okay, if not for, uh, for, the, for the survival benefit, we do it for the prognosis of patients because because we don't use brachytherapy, because we, we use only external beam radiation. But, but you know, the standard is still a, a chemo, chemo radiation in, 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 these, in these patients with, uh, with uh, in, uh, in the majority of institutions with, uh, with combined uh, radio, radiotherapy. So uh, uh, it's, it's very difficult in my opinion, uh, even in prospective trial, to compare morbidity and quality of life uh, uh, in patients who are treated by surgery and by radiotherapy. Mm-hmm. Because both treatment modalities uh, induce different types of toxicity. Mm-hmm. And uh, how you want to compare in a beast in uh, urinary bladder dysfunction uh, with uh, with uh, uh, vaginal dryness, or or it can be for some patients uh, more severe than, than than for others, and it can be more important for the quality of life than than, than for others. So so it's it's the first uh, difficulty. Then uh, we have quite some data in the literature showing that that uh, that a combined treatment is almost always worse than one single treatment modality, which again, uh, it's, uh, it's quite logic. Recently, there, there was a study published by, by Dr. Gupta. It's an Indian study, prospective uh, randomized trial, comparing radical neoadjuvant chemo followed by radical surgery versus chemo, chemo radiotherapy also showing, although it was not the endpoint of the trial, but, but they also showed that, that, that chemo radiation was more toxic. Uh, and even in the, in, uh, in, uh, the type of, of, of morbidity, which we think is mostly uh, morbidity coming from, uh, from radical surgery, uh, urinary bladder dysfunction was, was more frequent in, in chemo radiation, radiation group. Mm-hmm. And what what you mentioned that that uh, you know, uh, we do now different treatment uh, in comparison what we've done ten years ago, it will always be the case. 
so, so once we do any prospective trial, of course the outcome at the end of the study is, is, is a little bit outdated, <laughs> especially if, if we follow uh, the treatment which is very much, uh, very much driven by, by, by technology. But my final, final, final say would be uh, it's, it's, it's very unlikely, I would say so modestly, that a combined treatment composed of two different modalities and these different modalities causing different types of morbidity can be better than a single one. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so now I have uh, two more questions before uh, we uh, conclude. Um, and and then this next question is one that, uh, you know, certainly I wanted to say that I really always enjoy reading your, your, your manuscripts because you always uh, provide some perspective in what it would take if you were to run a prospective randomized trial. Because obviously, naturally, uh, many will read this manuscript and say, well, now we're ready for a prospective randomized trial. Let's do it prospectively and randomize patients. Um, what would that take? Uh, why would a prospective randomized trial in this question potentially not be possible? Well, I, uh, I would also like to see uh, level, level A evidence in this, and, and I would like to see a prospective trial which would really answer definitely this, this question. Uh, although you know, we both know that even, even those prospective trials are, are many times you know, discussed and criticized and, 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 and questioned. But uh, in this particular topic, uh, although Again, you know, it was also my thought at, at the beginning that, that, that this can be the next step from, uh, from the other trial to do a, a prospective trial. If we look through the Centix trial, and I've already mentioned that, that out of 700 prospectively included patients, uh, and mandatory was either pelvic MRI or, or uh, expert ultrasound, so those with suspicious lymph nodes were already excluded. So in this cohort, only 6% of them had positive uh, pelvic lymph nodes intraoperatively. So it's 6% rate. So if we count uh, the study, calculate the power analysis for the study where uh, progression-free survival is the primary endpoint, then uh, we would have to randomize almost 600 patients if the non-inferiority margin is, is 10%, which is very high. And for this 600 patients to be randomized, we would need to screen 10,000 of yeah. patients. And uh, if we make the, 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 the non-inferiority margin more reasonable to say, let's 5%, it's more than double. So, so this, in my opinion, you know, shows us that uh, there are fields where uh, to try to achieve level A evidence is simply not reasonable and not practical because I, I doubt that anybody in the world is able to conduct a trial where you have to screen 20,000 patients. And uh, then to do the study, uh, which is really controlled for all those treatment modalities uh, in place, uh, it will take so long that 
as you as we both mentioned here, the outcome would probably outdated at the end of the publication. Yeah, and I think that's that's just so key, critical, and you know certainly for any young trainee or investigator, um, they really should uh, listen to this podcast, rewind this, particularly this last segment that you mentioned as pertains to. Um, moving forward with prospective randomized trials. So now, David, this comes to uh, our last question. Um, obviously, I always ask this of, uh, of the investigators uh, and also you as a leading authority in the surgical management of uh, cervical cancer. Beyond this study, uh, what should we do when performing uh, radical hysterectomy and find that there is evidence of positive lymph nodes. Um, also, if finding those positive lymph nodes, should we stop? Should we proceed? And what should we do about the rest of the lymph nodes? Yeah. So based on everything what we've said, uh, uh, in my opinion, our current evidence, what we have available, shows us that first, uh, to use sentinel lymph node biopsy in a routine practice is, is, is an excellent step for many reasons. We increase the proportion of patients uh, in whom we identify positive pelvic lymph nodes, which is the, the most important prognostic factor in, in, in this, in this sub subgroup. And also we identify those key lymph nodes which can be sent for frozen section. Otherwise, you know, we just guess. We just guess, and we like this lymph node, so we send this lymph node uh, for frozen section, but, but it might not be uh, the, 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 the most important one, the sentinel lymph node. So, so those are two most important reasons for, for really implementing excellent biopsy into our, our routine practice. Uh, whether to send it for frozen section, definitely yes, for the reasons which I which I uh, mentioned, because this can this can uh, help us to avoid a combined treatment, a combination treatment, in at least six percent of patients, uh, as reflected in the Sempix trial. But it can be a higher uh, higher proportion, uh, depending on the quality of preoperative uh, staging. And then, if positive lymph node is uh, is is detected uh, based on the Abrax trial, uh, I believe that uh, current evidence shows us we should abandon further uh, either lymph node dissection or radical hysterectomy, irrespective of the of other prognostic uh, risk factors, and consider performing parotic uh, lymph node staging uh, or dissection for the staging purposes for radiation oncology. Well, David, thank you so much uh, for this opportunity to speak with you about this really important study. Um, thank you for the continued contributions you make to gynecologic oncology. And uh, thank you always for um, all that I learned uh, from you. Always. Thank you. Pedro, thank you very much for the invitation. I really value uh, your invitation and our friendship. Thank you. Bye-bye.